a white supremacist is somebody that thinks they're supreme because they're white. Would you assume that that's what they're talking about? Yeah, that seems to be what the term implies by its verbiage and its and the okay. words used, correct? Okay, so so I I don't I don't think I'm superior because I'm white, but let's suppose there is somebody out here in America and that's what they believe. Why do we care what they believe and who are we to tell them they can't believe that well let's ask it this way because i think this is where it needs to be uh as well um why does another class or group of people have the right to say that they are god's chosen people exactly doesn't that doesn't that make that people a superior people doesn't that conjure up some some mentality that somehow those people are different? Somehow those people warrant greater favor? Somehow those people? I mean, the metaphors and the you know uh, the uh, adverbs for that can be no different than someone who says something about a quote white supremacist. So you're talking about a Jewish supremacist? Absolutely. Okay. Now, hold that thought. I'm 60 years old, and to date, I have never heard the term black supremacist. Does that mean nobody in the whole population of all blackdom ever had that thought? Or are they just superior in love to us, whiteies? I would well, I would go out on out on a limb and say there's probably just as many black supremacists as there are white supremacists or Mexican supremacists. Never heard that term either, but they're out yeah. there. Well, well, of course they're out there. Uh, because um, uh, we know uh, what's that one guy? Um, um, oh, what's his name? The black fellow that uh, Eldridge. Uh, no, he's not. He, he's not. He's he's not even that black either. He's uh, he's that kind of that Muslim uh, black guy. Um, Oh, come on, I'm drawing a blank on his name. J.D. just popped in here. He probably remembers who he, or knows who I'm talking about. But, uh, uh, you know, the guy that they love to, um, ah, crying out loud, I can't think of it. Um, who's, who's the one the Mexicans are naming their freeways after that did something with the labor union? Uh, yeah, they, I don't know. Uh, they are... Chavez, Cesar Chavez. Chavez, that's right. I would say he's probably a Mexican supremacist, but nobody had any problem with it, did they? How about Castro? No. <clears throat> you know, almost all those things, I think, uh, I can't remember if I heard some about uh, Julio Cesar Chavez, but uh, or Cesar Chavez, I should say, maybe. Uh, some of those guys may have had some tie-ins to, like, the CIA 
I'm telling you, man, almost everything I've ever looked at has tie-ins to, you know, some of the agencies over here. This whole thing is such a plan, you know, with the Roman cult and, you know, the Jesuits and the CIA and these Satanists. It's, it's uh, incredible. It really is. Huh. Just yeah. to be able to coordinate it, I think, is, is uh, something amazing. But, you know, they're, they're working it full-time, you know? Yeah. It's a full-time yeah. deal. And they get plenty of decent people, I think, to go along with it because, you know, they, it's the promises of riches, you know, the, you know the, the lifestyle, the material things that they've always dreamed of. And, you know, they get some of the best of us, you know, the, the brightest young people, and even though they're not maybe of the bloodlines, these satanic bloodlines, they go along with it because they don't know any better. They went to Catholic churches or any of these other churches, and they don't have a clue. I mean, just look at how many, how most people, like I'm, I'm here in the Detroit area. We have the University of Detroit Jesuits, and everybody looks up to that like, oh, the Jesuits, they're great. And they don't have a clue of the Jesuit oath of, of uh, induction and, and what these people are all about. And they're just absolutely clueless. It's, 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 uh, um, James yeah. Shriners just, just want to help children. Who wants to help children? Shriners. Guys that wear the oh, funny oh, yeah, the Shriners, right, the Shriners. Yeah, we, we used to watch them as kids with their little cars and their little uh, mini bikes and stuff like that. Sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And they got the funny little fez, the little hat. <laughs> You want to know something? Organized evil is all around us. I think we need to kind of um, try to be aware of it, though. I really do. Because, uh, you know, this is how these people have been able to operate in broad daylight because the, the, the salt, the salt of the earth, you know, we're, we're, we've uh, kind of been uh, kind of put to sleep a little bit. And so we're, we're just not aware. You know, we've, the good people, the salt, have been so propagandized, have been so uh, put into a trance, uh, have been so just put to sleep with all the public education and everything, that the good people are just, they're not aware, man. I mean, we're just starting but, to reawaken right now, so it's a good thing. But, you know, one thing that I, that I like to mention is, uh, you know, something as innocuous as the, uh, <clears throat> what is it, Danny and Marlo Thomas uh, Hospital. What do they call that hospital? Uh, the, uh, anyways, Thank it's a children's you. hospital, right? Thank what you. is it called? St. Jude's. That's it. Yes, yeah, St. Jude's. Now, I don't know who St. Jude is. But um, Danny and Marlo Thomas are Jews, and uh, they don't do any good at those hospitals. You know, people just can't believe it. They're like, what do you mean they don't do any good? Like, oh, they're helping these kids cure themselves. You know, they're curing them of cancer. No, they're killing them with, their cancer, with the radiation and the chemo. And the, one, or the, the few children that do survive only do it because it's, it's within them. They basically, their, their mind heals themselves. It's one of the most powerful healing things 
uh, is, you know, the mind can, uh, the body goes where the mind goes. And, and that's what happens. But they're basically torturing these children and then killing them. And people would hear that and say, you're out of your mind. But I'm, I'm telling you, that's exactly what's going on. There's all kinds of treatments for cancer and heart disease that absolutely work, and people just can't believe it. But, but of course, it's really mainly because they've been subjugated with the public education system, which my parents are both retired public school teachers, so, of course, I can't even have this discussion with them because they're a little older. Let me get older, back. So. You know. Get back to this. What if we don't, we just don't buy the story about 9-11. We don't buy the story about the planet warming. We don't buy lots of stories, maybe even about going to the moon. Why does that make us the enemy? Why aren't right. We considered, you can, you can, uh, you can hate us. That's okay. That's good hate. Why? Yeah. Well, the answer is in the book. <laughs> yeah, in Esther. Well, it's in the it's in the book. You know the uh, the scriptures, the holy writ, and uh, there is something in Esther that. You know, I was talking with Isaac about developing another another subject here for fellowship, but I got to thinking that there's some things in Esther that probably just a couple of things that maybe I would like to conclude with that I didn't get to last week. And um, I think the I'm getting some feedback now. Uh, JD on yours again, so I know you muted out earlier, but uh, maybe it's is the way that better? it's laying or something. Maybe it's the yeah. way it's laying or something. Yeah, we're good right now. I'm not hearing it. Okay, um, it was on speaker, that's why. Yeah, I think yeah. maybe when it's on speaker, it likes to bounce off of the table or something. Or That's um, fine. Yep. But Go ahead, Russell. And I'm ready if you are. Where do you want to go? Well, let's go back to, uh, because this does tie into what both you and uh, J.D. had spoken about already uh, here in the fellowship. So um, I'm going to go back to um, um, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 9 to begin with and bring something back to our mind. 1 Samuel 15 and verse 9. i got to go one more page. There we go. All right. Um, Saul said, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. I know we talked about this, but I just wanted to bring it back to our our thoughts again. Remember how it was said that uh, we spoke about the fact that that scripture says that everything that was vile, Saul did away with, but yet he did not Uh do away with Agag. 
So in, in Saul's mind, Saul did not perceive Agag as being vile. And well, yet, also he said, and all that was good, they were not willing to destroy them utterly. Right. So, so apparently in Saul's mind, there were some good things that he didn't, he reasoned, there's no sense in tearing that up, right? That's exactly right. Well, it's the quintessential, you know, disobedience is that to say that, um, well, this stuff looks good, so I'm going to keep it. The Lord surely, you know, Yahweh God surely did not mean that I should destroy everything utterly. Uh, These things are perfectly good, and why not, uh, you know, sacrifice them to him? And, of course, what did he say? Is it not, you know, is it sacrifice that I desire or obedience? But the, the, the important thing there for me that I found in that is how he did not consider the king, King Agag, um, as being vile. So think about that. When we think about these other people that we call leaders and rulers and so forth from, from one nation to the next and one people to the next, and certainly within our own country, um, they do not perceive those of their kind and those of their, you know, of their persuasion and strife as vile. They perceive these as being the, you know, the smartest men in the room. And I think when a guy like Donald Trump came along and actually called John McCain out, because uh, I heard some chatter on the talk today, talk shows today about uh, John McCain and and some things that that he and Trump were in uh, disagreement over, namely that he got caught in uh, and became a prisoner of war. And it goes back several years um, when he had actually remarked about McCain anyway. But my point is, is that, see, Donald Trump made a distinction and he considered um, John McCain as somewhat vile. Um, but John McCain and all the rest of the people in 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 uh, Republican land and Democrat land, you know, they're not vile. They're they're just part of it. We just banter back and forth, and we give these little digs back and forth. But by and large, we're all on the same page, and we're all going for the same goal. And and that's kind of the way I look at some of that. Now back to Esther chapter 8, I think it was, um, there was something else that came to my mind. Um, Yeah, 8.17. And in every province and in every city, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews, meaning Judeans, or the Judahites, I should say, that's more correct, the Judahites, had joy and gladness, a feast and a good day, and many of the people of the land became Judahites. For the fear of the Judahites fell upon them. Now, this last sentence is the most important. What happened there? And many of the people of the land became Judahites. So, what does that mean? And the reason that that's important is because this is why it 
shows who the people of Mordecai were because ask yourself a question. These people who we know and call Jews today, do they make people come to them and become Jews? And the answer, of course, is no. But we as the Israelites, including Judahites, through Judahites, we constantly are drawing people to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see what I'm saying? Yep. That is the Christian duty, if you will. That is the Christian um, mission, if you will. When we go back to the whole uh, Old Testament uh, scriptures, um, look at the basics of, of the mission, you know, the, the general mission that, that, that was given. God calls Abraham, right? Genesis 12, 2 and 3. Genesis 22 and 17. He says, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and the sand which is upon the seashore. Well, Doug, not to get away from your point, but you didn't tell me about 1 Samuel 32. Yeah. About what happened. Uh, Samuel said, bring me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so I'm assuming he's a murderer, so shall your mother so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel, it says, hewed Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Yes, he did. uh, Well, we did discuss discuss that already, uh, but, yeah, it's good to bring it up. Samuel was quite a man of the Lord, wasn't he? Yep. He didn't have any problems. (laughs) that vile human being did he no but but once again when we look at the book of Esther and we find out that Haman was an Agagite we know as an Amalekite also we know that therefore if he was referred to as an Agagite and all of the uh, footnotes cross references and everything else lead us back to uh, Amalekite Amalek and the seed of Esau. So we know that he was definitely of the seed of Esau. And uh, we know that it also indicates that these people were the enemies of Israel. And who's an enemy of Israel? I mean, God said that he would have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Um, And so... I guess what I wanted to do was button up the fact that that's that's not something just to be swept aside, how in verse 17 that it says, and many of the people of the land became Judahites. You could say Israelite Judahites or 
Israelites, you know, because we can use Judahites and Israelites as one and the same, meaning one and the same. And when we look at the Great Commission that God has recorded in the scriptures, it should help us to understand that here, here is part of the, the Great Commission that we see so often, um, is that God said that they will see and hear and they will desire to have a God and ask, who is this that has God so nigh unto them? And so people would want to follow and be a part of that group, if you will, that group of people. So now, Russell, when you started out the fellowship here asking about a white supremacist, and then I said, well, that's very similar to an anti-Semite. You see, it's a phrase, it's a term, and the term is bandied about to cause in people's minds certain things, certain emotions to develop without any understanding of the terms or any validity of the terms. And that's one of the things that I was hoping to bring out about this whole book of Esther is it's time for us to stop fearing this word anti-Semitism. And see, they're, just because they throw it out should not cause us to cower in a corner we should boldly stand up as Mordecai did and proclaim the truth as we know it. And that's why I keep saying that we've got to be strong enough and knowledgeable enough to be able to articulate to people why this term anti-Semitism and why a term such as white supremacist, you know, has to be correctly understood in order to realize that it has no value. It is absolutely a zero-sum term because Doug, how, can I, how can I, an Israelite, be an anti-Semite, an anti-Shemite, if you will, because that's, yes. of course, what they profess, and how can that be possible when, when God made no distinction between Shem and the rest of Israel? And so... Um, we've got to start shoving it back at them because their argument, just like any argument we ever make, their argument has to stand or fall on the merits. And if we start forcing them to explain to us how they can claim that they're of the tribe of Shem when all of their written documents claim that they don't even have any bloodline back to Shem, you know, and we'll have to someday go through all of those, but we can go to their Jewish encyclopedias. We can go to all the writings by their own people, their own rabbis and everything else that convey to us, convey to the world that they know that they don't have a drop of Abrahamic blood or, excuse me, uh, Jacob Israel blood, if you will. They as Christ said, they could claim Abraham to their father, and certainly Esau um, would claim Abraham as their grandfather, but they are not of the people of God who God chose to be the special people that he commissioned to be the blessing to the world. And so we've just got to keep doing what we need to do to expose and not let that fear overtake us 
And that's what the church world has done, is just allowed it to, to overtake us. Uh, I know you were starting to say something, J.D. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just going to say that, you know, that's where I had first heard that about the term anti-Semites, that it's anti-Shem because, from Eustace Mullins, uh, from some of his interviews. And uh, right. I consider Eustace Mullins' information uh, uh, the best available. I think he was a brilliant uh, individual and a really good man. And, of course, all the credit for his work really goes to Ezra Pound, who uh, kind of mentored him and uh, turned over a lot of his research to him uh, that he was trying to do on the whole banking, you know, Federal Reserve and what was behind all the wars and all that, which was basically the international bankers. Uh, It's a good way for them to make money. And so, um, you know, that's... uh, that, that's where I had heard it. But, yeah, it's ridiculous. It, it's ridiculous. But, you know, as far as trying to uh, bring this up to, you know, like the people here are awake, and so there's other people that are awakening as time goes on. It's like that bell curve of awakening. And uh, so we're getting into larger numbers of people that are starting to sniff around on some of these subjects and realizing that we've been lied to about a lot of things. But I think uh, I think the biggest thing we're uh, dealing with to try to explain, like you're talking totally rationally about explaining, having the knowledge and so forth, but, uh, you know, a lot of these people, even people that are awakening, they don't, re- you know, the rational discussion is really what it's all about, but these people are in the process of breaking a trance. You know, I guess we all went through it, uh, but, um, you know, most people are in a trance. It's like a mind control thing. And, uh, you know, you have the cognitive dissonance. And, uh, but I guess, uh, you know, sometimes it takes somebody to get kind of stung or hurt to maybe snap them out of the trance. But, uh, but I think it, you know, if you can get somebody to just be rational to listen and to look at the facts and study a little bit, Boy, they're gonna. If they do that, they're gonna find the truth quickly, uh, because it's it's all right there. You know, the people in all these churches, uh, they're basically the salt of the earth. But uh, boy, I don't really know too many churches that are really uh, what they're supposed to be. They've all been, I think, uh, corrupted and poisoned by the cult of Rome with all the teachings, and even the pastors have been taught wrong stuff, so they're just passing it on. You know, just like teachers in school uh, do the same thing. They're trained to teach this, and that's what they teach. They don't have a clue. You know, they don't. They teach the Civil War was about slavery and stuff like that, and it's utter nonsense. It had nothing to do with it. I mean, they brought it in at the end just to kind of get the favor of the North or, you know, the people up there in the North. So, well, yeah, it's... Absolutely, yeah, and and... Yeah, I mean, we've been, uh, you know, we've been discussing that on these fellowships, you know, routinely, and and how uh, so much of this is is you know continually to be exposed as being how how I guess what I'm trying to say is how much everything has just been an absolute fiction. And I know JD, you've got on here before and said, man, we're living in a fiction, you know, and yeah. Uh, and uh, it's almost no truer words can be said because uh, there is so much that we find that we've been uh, 
brainwashed and deceived by. And yeah. um, so, so the, the, the main thing that I guess, like I said, that I thought I would touch on just as a conclusion out of Esther 7 is because I was trying to bring our minds to, I think so many people have looked at Esther as being something because, Jew, Jew, Jew is just written throughout it all, you know, and and it conjures up in people's minds that it, it really does mean these people called Jews. And, of course, they keep this feast day called Purim and so forth. And so, absolutely, it really applies to them. Well, no, that's just another part of the fiction. I, I think Rich said it good uh, last week and stuff, too, is that, no, this this is, when you really read through this, and get to the nub of what's actually in this book, we find out many, many things that really show us the deception and show us how involved they are in actually implanting themselves into the story, if you will, and choosing the things that, that are, can be perceived as being so applicable to them because they know the feast, um, and, you know, pastor used to say it to us. He said, they know the Bible better than you do. And so what, what he means by that is if you have an enemy and your enemy has a rule book or your enemy has, has a manual, you better get inside of that manual to figure out what it is that they are doing to deceive you about what's actually written in your manual. In other words, you may have some fundamentals of the manual and you operate primarily by rote because of the fundamentals. But if you lack some of the, you know, the innermost uh, informative parts of the manual, uh, then you could be easily deceived to, you know, clip the red wire instead of the blue wire, if I'm making any sense with that analogy. And so, yeah, sure. absolutely, you know, these, these guys, they are masters at deception. And this is why Christ yeah, said, absolutely. you know, yes. this, this is why he said, you know, he was a liar from the beginning. Your father is the father of lies. Um, he's, he, he clearly understood that there were those who were there who, who, you know, well, let's go there. You know, Revelation 2, 9 and 3, 9. There are those who will say they are of Judah. It says Jew there because of the transliteration there. They say they are Judah but are not and do lie. They say they are Judeans or Judahites but are not and do lie. And so why would he need, you know, why would he find the need to tell us this if it wasn't going to be something that was going to be important for us. I know thy works, thy tribulation and poverty, and thou art rich. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews, meaning Judahite, or, excuse me, and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so once again, it's another classic example of being able to properly identify and that's what I've tried to do with the fellowship here and many of you guys is just keep encouraging us to know that we need to tell people about these things and we can't fear it um, because... I love I it. Said, don't, I love it. Yeah, don't, don't, don't fear those that can kill the body, but fear he who can... 
kill both body and soul. So right, um, <laughs> and you know these 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 masters of deceivers. I clearly believe, as I started to say, when you when you actually look at this and you you think back to the basics of the of the mission, God chooses Abraham. The Lord appears unto Isaac in Genesis twenty six two and four. Then it was given to Jacob in Genesis twenty eight thirteen fourteen. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said to Jacob, I am the Lord God of Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. See, there is no white supremacy. You see, the guy that even apparently claims that he's a white supremacist or whatever, but we know it's all just words that they use. But there might be a few guys out there. I mean, we knew some people, uh, you know, back in the in the 80s who, you know, thought those things uh, and expressed them in that way. And you don't need to express them in that way because here's the truth of the matter. He tells us who was going to be the blessings to the world. Joseph is a fruitful bough, he said, uh, Genesis 49:22, whose branches run over the wall. You know, this goes on and on and on. Then you have the prophets, the mission and the plan that God shared through the prophets. Isaiah 45, probably one of the most significant chapters in the whole Bible. We've got, I don't know, what is it, seven to eight different things uh, that God conveys um, in verses, uh, let's just flip over to Isaiah 45, because it's, it, it is so profound, the mission that is given. And ask yourself the question, these people who call themselves Jews today, as I pointed out out of Esther chapter 8, verse 17, people came to the people of Mordecai, and it says became Judahites. What do we see? People gravitate toward the things that are positive or the things that, that they see that are beneficial or, you know, even righteous, I guess, if you want to use that word. So they gravitated to these people. They saw how righteous. And isn't it just classic quintessential how the Jew today wishes to interpose himself as the most righteous, benevolent of all beings on the face of the earth and, and conveys it, you know, ad nauseum. And yet, who's, who's, can you name, you know, who? Who do you know that is just flocking to Judaism to become a Jew, to become part of, Judaism, it's not happening, is it, folks? No. <clears throat> Those fundamental deceptions that have been pounded into the people's heads are like a huge thing. You know, like they have taught us that we're Judeo-Christians. It's no, that's an oxymoron. It has nothing to do with Judaism, uh, true Christianity, fundamental biblical Christianity as opposed to all this cult of Romish garbage that almost 100% of the so-called Christians in America get. There's hardly any real churches. I mean, there was like Pastor Pete out there in LaPorte, Colorado, and there's, you know, some small churches around. But gosh, I mean, this is what we can use, what he left, and I think just start meeting in, in our houses, right? 
and going over all of his voluminous material. In fact, I just got a thumb drive from a dude that I think I connected with on Facebook or something. He's down in Louisiana, young guy. And uh, he sent me all this stuff. And uh, so that's, that's another load of good information that I've got. But, uh, but yeah, it's uh, these fundamental things that have just been drilled into the people's heads. And then they have the rabbis come and the, the rabbi says this and the rabbi says that or whatever. And it's like, who cares? What do we want to listen to a rabbi for? But the, the Christians have been taught like the rabbi is this authoritative you know, person that, you know, has the knowledge and the this and the that. And it's like, hey, Rabbi, do you believe Jesus was the Son of God? Oh, oh, you don't, do you? And then they tell us, oh, well, they're Messianic Messianic Jews. That's I think that's an oxymoron, too. Because the definition of a Jew is, is basically they deny Christ, they deny Jesus being the Son of God. Is that not correct? I mean, well, it's pretty yeah, much the absolutely. definition of a Jew. I no, don't trust no. any Jews, period. You know, <clears throat> some of these people like Eli James and, you know, some of these other people that kind of, uh, uh, you know, talk about this a lot and have done a lot of research say that of all the people in the world today that call themselves Jews, it's probably 90, 95% or more that are the Revelation 2, 9, and 3, 9 synagogue of Satan Jews. You oh, know, yeah, as opposed absolutely, yeah. Yeah, because then yeah, like well, you, were, you were saying Jew is a is a member of the uh, tribe of Judah, so that would be like the real Jew as opposed to this fake synagogue of Satan, Revelation two nine and three nine Jew, correct? Yeah, right, right, exactly. They're claiming to be somebody there they're not. Now we did a series of fellowships here. I believe it encompassed eight eight fellowships. Israel, Judah, and Jew. Um, and if you haven't had an opportunity to download those, I would strongly encourage everybody to do that. Not that we have anything great or anything else, but what we tried to do was just literally take our minds directly to the scriptures to, to show definitively that not only were Israelites in existence, at biblical New Testament times, time of Christ, obviously, and after, um, to get people's minds back to some truth about one of these big lies, which is Israel went out of existence and got, you know, melded into all these other peoples and basically became, quote, unquote, lost, or you know, spiritual Israel and all the rest of the garbage that we heard through the evangelical circles for, you know, three or four decades. So we really tried to just take a step back and get into the scriptures, not going outside of them at all, just to prove and to show the existence of Israel, the various scriptures still pertaining to Israel and so forth, meaning those Israelites of Jacob Israel, so that's a good series. And, J.D., when you mentioned the Romish thing, I was wondering, have you listened to the series that I did on uh, America's constitutional idolatry yet? No, but I need to get into that. <clears throat> that's uh, kind of the same thing that Ted Wheeland gets into, right, with uh, BibleVersusConstitution.org or 
I think that's his website. Yeah, he's yeah he I yeah he did a series on on um, Constitution versus something. I think um, it's been a long time since I've listened to, but I did listen to that series one time. But yeah, I kind of took another little thought down memory lane into some of these things and took some of these quotes that I heard over the years and began to look into original source material for those quotes and stuff. But anyhow, I just was saying it's another good little thing that I basically concluded that we're in a Roman system of government here um, in America with this constitution, and that's exactly what transpired. And whether it was by design by these men or they slipped into it inadvertently because uh, it was kind of what they knew, um, I'm not real sure, but, um, you know, we'll have to let God be the arbiter, the final arbiter on, on those things. Uh, but I tried to bring a little different perspective to those things that hopefully would help people to, um, you know, get out of the box a little bit. But anyhow, I wanted to take us real quick. Remember that scripture in, in Esther chapter 8, verse 17, about how it said many of the people became Judahites. Now, Let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And in 2 Chronicles um, chapter 20, let me just kind of give you some... Uh, um, it's the invasion uh, that occurs of Judah um, and prayer that they had for deliverance, basically, as you get into the first 7, 8, 10, 12 verses, and then deliverance um, that was to be promised there um, at uh, 14 through 18. But anyhow, Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 29. This is something that we have right here that dovetails on what happened there in the time of Esther and Mordecai. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they had heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest round about. See, when we are in the right, and when God gives us deliverance because of the righteousness of that truth, there's going to be a fear that descends upon all of those. And Isaiah chapters 43 to 47 are, you know, just full of the information that should give us, you know, an, an abundance of, of, you know, encouragement to stay the course and, and to keep delivering the truth as the Bible records it and reflects it. And... Just the, when, when we stay according to the mission, he's told us that when you pray, I'm not going to hear you if you're not in accordance with my will. So when we pray, we're supposed to be praying in accordance with his will. Being in accordance with his will is that he has decided that he wants to bless the uh, uh, peoples of the earth through his people, Abraham. And when we are good and true to that commission, then we get blessed. When we are not, 
he's going to use these as a rod against us. So we really don't have anybody to blame but ourselves. And that's what I wanted to kind of get us away from is this isn't a bash, you know, Jew night tonight or anything else. The point is, is knowing the enemy, but knowing why the enemy or why an adversary has been brought in against us is because of our failure to do according to his will. And we know all the reasons why that has happened to us. We know of their deception. We know of their tactics. Um, you know, so here, here um, uh, I've got a guest on who's sent in a chat. He says, uh, quote, from Encyclopedia Judaica 1971, uh, that would be chapter 6 or section 6, column 379. The quote is, Edom is the eternal enemy of Israel and Judah. And, of course, we know that. We've gone to those scriptures before. And as I said earlier, when he said that Israel would be warring against Amalek, well, Amalek is in the same line as Esau. And we read the scriptures where how many times Yahweh told us five, six, seven times, Edom is Esau. Esau is Edom. You know, And so those are very important things that a lot of people who call themselves Christians don't even know, haven't even read. And, and even reading them, they can't make the connection because they've not been taught. They haven't been taught words. They haven't you know, done the things that are necessary you know, to read them. Most of these people go to churches today that have study notes already prepared for them. They go into a study and all of the things are all written out and they're given a sheet and then they go read these particular scriptures and they skip over all the other scriptures. And it isn't until a guy like Russell goes and reads forward into chapter, uh, into verse 32 and says, well, hey, wait a minute, Samuel killed Agag. Yeah, he killed Agag, but how many of Agag's sons got away? We know a bunch of them must have got away because Haman was an Agagite from, obviously, Agag. Now, many of the commentaries say that it quite prominently might be a term just applied to an Amalekite. Well, we look at what an Amalekite was, and that's where we learn, where we learn that they are from the seed of Esau, and, you know, they do the deeds of their father, you know. And these are the things that, that we're trying to point out. And so we sharpen each other in a time like this and a fellowship like this. And that was really what I keep hoping for, is that we just keep sharpening each other to get in the Word, stay in the Word, and bring these truths out from the Word instead of letting others shut us down because we're pulling it from this book or we're pulling it. I'm not saying we can't use that, but we've got to be strong in the Word so that when we use the other sources, which are many of them their own sources, um, you know, just like I brought out Josephus, um, we become stronger and more capable of, of um, you know, making these terms like anti-Semitic. I heard that uh, Levin, um, usually around 5 o'clock, of course, I'm driving home or something, and, and so I have, I don't know, since that woman went out, on 
that Muslim woman went out and made some statement. That guy has got his anti-Semitism uh, uh, radar antenna up so high he can't stop talking about it. And I, I can only stomach about five to ten minutes of, uh, especially when he's on that. And uh, so I just I found it real interesting how, once again, are we supposed to believe that that guy is so dumb and so naive that he does not know that he's not a true descendant of Shem? And if he is a true descendant of Shem, then why doesn't he you know, do what is necessary to convey the truth with regards to that? And he can't. That's the problem, is that he can't. Because if he were to do that, then he would expose all those who are not. And just as JD said, probably only 95, you know, probably only 5% could actually truly claim that they are actually true descendants of Shem. Where Was this a guy on the radio? Anti-Shemite. Yeah, that was this... in. Oh, come on. <clears throat> Man, it's, um, listen, this conspiracy, as we all know, is pretty huge. Like, it's the only game in town. Everything else is is just irrelevant compared to this 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 conspiracy. And you're not going to be in the mainstream anywhere unless you're one of them. As in the real life movie that we're living in, they live. That movie that yeah. that's the way I see it. I see this everything on earth as that's what's going on. It's them and us. And Levin. <clears throat> He might say a lot of good stuff, you know, just like Trump, in my opinion, you know, will do some good things, but it's all theater. It's theater. They've yeah. got to, they can't be totally blatant, just like with vaccinations. You know, people, simpletons will say, oh, well, if they're trying to poison us, then why don't they just, you know, it'll just inject them and then it'll just kill the baby. Because then everybody would wake up to it. They've got to do it real slowly and gradually gradualism the frog in the boiling pot and so that's that's what they do and it's it's sophisticated mind control because these people have studied the minds of man more than anything by many many orders of magnitude and uh, they know how to manipulate us and they know what percentage of the population is like this and you know like maybe there's five or ten percent that's pretty hard to get to but we're going to work on them too and that's what they do. I mean, you know, even this last little false flag there in New Zealand, which I looked at just a very little bit, just very little, but in the very little I looked at, I was like, well, this is obviously another false flag, and I don't even know if anybody got shot. But, you know, sometimes they fake some stuff, and then they actually do kill some people. You know, Sandy Hook was totally faked. But the point I'm trying to make is they did some things that are really sloppy where they show, like, the guy shooting and then his uh, his his shell cartridges like get you know you know expelled. They fly out and then they like disappear on the video. And I think they do some of these things purposefully to be sloppy, so they can get you know people kind of all fighting over that kind of stuff instead of the big picture of you know the the whole thing is just contrived. But but my point is Levin is one of them without a doubt. 
I mean, there's oh, yeah. no think. There's no trying to figure out, like, why can't this guy figure this out? I mean, we could say that about a lot of stuff. It's because it's part of the plan. But right. we could and, say and, it about Donald and, Trump. Yes, yeah. yeah that's I mean, really that's my opinion. That's my opinion right. on the matter. There, There's a guy, you know, another good source of information. There's a lot of individuals out here that I think put out good information. But I don't know if you guys heard of Johnny Cerucci. He's uh, just kind of an independent dude. I think he reads. He's a pretty smart guy. He's just a regular dude, I think, on the East Coast somewhere. But uh, JohnnyCerucci.com, uh, J-O-H-N-N-Y-C-I-R-U-C-C-I.com. He's got a lot of good articles, good analysis. He goes deep into the cult of Rome, the Jesuits and all that. But he'll give uh, topical analysis of, uh, you know, Trump and, you know, the different goings-on in the political theater and that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, this is high-level deception. This is another problem, I think, that we're dealing with, too, is well, our, our own pride. Our own pride. Americans, you know, we have maybe a little bit of pride. And, you know, these decent people that have basically done things in a very conservative and a, a very righteous way, uh, it, and they go to like you know the, whether it's a Catholic church or any of these other big churches and stuff, and they just they feel like they're blessed because you know they've got a nice house and a nice lifestyle and they've done everything right and their 401k is looking pretty fat and uh, everything's good. And but they it's they're not all like this, but there's a lot of them I think that have that pride where it's just hard for them to really look at these things because things seem to have turned out pretty well for them, you know? But I don't know what these parasites may have planned for trying to get a hold or something, try to convert their 401Ks to retirement or whatever. But uh, if that's if that, something like that happens, that might wake a lot more people up. You know, something where their 401Ks get fleeced really good, but we'll see. It's already happened. You mean as far as the boom and bust cycle where they – in 08 and stuff and they drove it down and yeah. people you know maybe panicked and sold and yeah yeah it, mm-hmm. it happens over and over about every 10 years 20 years every right. time the stock market closes somebody wins oh absolutely yeah mm-hmm. it's just transferred absolutely well there was i saw a report from uh this was gosh this was years ago i, I gave a report to my dad i don't know if he ever read it because he was kind of a financial, he did some of that financial stuff when he retired from teaching. And uh, uh, it was this woman, Teresa Gilleraducci, was heading up this uh, study to how the government could get a hold of people's uh, 401Ks and, like, their stock brokerage accounts that are outside of a 401K. And, um, you know, it went into this. It was, gosh, what was the guy's? Ted Bauman. Ted Bauman, he's a financial uh, commentator guy. I think he has maybe a newsletter, but I, it was uh, an outfit that he was working for, or it might have been his outfit, and then they had this report, but it was, it was pretty impressive. I mean, these people are looking at this stuff, and they want to get a hold of that because, you know, that's what the, you know, the nature of the parasite is. They want to they get a hold of that. And they're going to do whatever they can do to do it. But, yeah, so we'll see. We'll see what they have planned. 
the purpose of this Bible study, J.D., is to find, to go deeper into a solution because we've all been through Birch. We all know there's problems everywhere. We know it's horrible. We know all about this historic uh, intelligence, counterintelligence, psycho. They got uh, conspiracies against conspiracies. They they mix it up like a bat a cake. Uh, mm-hmm. And this this is all just evil. Mm-hmm. You know, think of think think of it this way. Think of it this way. I've used this analogy before. If you cut yourself and you know that you're bleeding, do you need to, once you grab something and wrap it around there to stop the bleeding or to, you know, apply the pressure and everything else, do you want to keep uncovering it to see how bad you're bleeding? You know, no, you don't. You want to keep that thing taut. You want to begin the process of understanding, number one, how did this happen to me? How did I get into this situation that I got cut or that I have, you know, endangered life or limb, okay? And that's what I try to to express about what we do, we can sit here and we can go on and on and on about what all these things are, all these mechanisms and all these weapons that they use. And I know that I have one weapon, and that is the God of creation. And he has promised me that if I will abide in him and that I will be that salt, as you started out, J.D., about being the salt that I'm supposed to be in bringing out and shining upon the darkness of those who practice the wickedness. You know, one of the things that we read in this study on Esther was how the scripture said that they were supposed to go destroy those sinners I, wasn't that in First Samuel that we read that out of too, Russell? And uh-huh. I believe it was. And so that was a commission given to go and destroy those sinners. Man, we don't even possibly even think that way as a Christian body here today. We do not even think about going out and utterly destroying the sinners because, after all, we're all sinners. Are you talking about like where uh, God told his people to kill every man, woman, and child in uh, this village or that village? Uh, yeah, we, we, in our study on Esther here in the last few weeks, we, we went back to 1 Samuel, I believe it was, in this story about going in against the, maybe, maybe we read it out of Genesis, uh, uh, going against the Amalekites, I believe it was, and, and he, he said, go and destroy the sinners, the Amalekites. I could probably pull the scripture up here because I just can't think of which one it was. Um, but that's a very profound thing. You know, how many people do you know in Christendom today that if you were to say, you know, God gave us a commission to go out and destroy sinners, 
I mean, isn't that essentially what it is? Now, people would look at you today and say, oh, so we're just supposed to go around killing people. Isn't there another way to destroy sinners? Do not sinners destroy Christians? Do they destroy them by killing them? Do they destroy them by killing them daily? Yeah, in some respects they do. But do they also destroy them in other ways? Yes, because they destroy them by making them twofold more sons of hell than themselves. Yes. You see my point? Yep. Yep. Yes. I I think that um, exposing them and what they're doing is the way to destroy them. Absolutely. But I don't John disagree Birch, with that. As, as I, John Birch has been doing ahead. that for years. John Birch has done nothing forward. It's always write your congressman. Here's all the problems. Now call or write the guy that's responsible for it all and tell him all about it. Who needs it? Yes. You see, they're, you know, exposing exposing it is part of it. Let's go to, well, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 18. That was, uh, you know, that was a mission. Uh, You know, so my point is, is that, you can see how we can look at ourselves and say, are we on the, miss- the mission for God that we're supposed to be on? Are we on the right mission? Is the mission just to expose? There's a lot of people exposing, and there's a lot of exposure. But the, the way that we get Second Chronicles chapter 7, since I'm still in Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 7, we've all heard it. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. If our land is sick and is in need of healing, or our people are sick and are in need of redemption, or are in need of healing, then there's something wrong with us. And he says, if they'll turn from their wicked ways, and I always try to point out to people, if you want to understand Second Chronicles 7.14, you've got to go to the activating scripture. In other words, what activates what 7.14 says? If you do this, turning from your wicked ways, he'll hear. Okay, well, how do we turn from our wicked ways? Where's the solution? Chapter Uh, verse 17 and as for you if you will walk before me as David your father walked and do according to all that I have commanded thee and shall observe my statutes and my judgments then will I establish my throne the throne of my kingdom uh, thy kingdom according to that as I have coveted with David so if we want him to establish himself with us there has to be a point in which we have to look to ourselves and say, we have sinned. Even if our sin has been being deceived. What difference does it make for a Pastor Peters to give us a message and deliver a message telling us about being deceived and telling us how, Father, forgive us for our sin of being deceived. It doesn't do us any good if we don't act upon that, that message in that sermon that continues to say to us 
we've got to ask and seek the forgiveness daily for having been deceived. Let me not be deceived from here here more. And many of us have prayed prayers like that. So once again, it's just another thing that we once again try to do to keep ourselves sharp and tell others out there. It isn't just about knowing you know, what they're doing to us. It's about knowing what we have allowed to be done because we, how preposterous is it? We've got the Bible here and we, we know that God's laws and his commands and his statutes, if we've read anything at all, and then we turn around and let some current Judeo-Christian preacher tell us that the laws are done away with. I, right. I mean, that is just the most insidious thing, and, and that's what a lot of people have done. So, you know, I, I just am trying to encourage us to recognize the sin within our own, uh, you know, the sins of our fathers, the sins of our own selves, and so forth. And keep that in our prayers and keep that confession because I believe that that confession of those sins and the confessions and acknowledgments of those things, and this is exactly where a lot of us really loved Pastor Peter so well for because he had a way of getting us to recognize that we ourselves are in the predicament we're in because we failed the kingdom mission, you know, and... So that's that's all. Yeah, we can we can continue to you know spend a lot of time. There's a lot of stuff out there, and you can spend a lot of time looking at everything that they're doing. But how much time do we spend? How much time do we spend saying, okay, this is what we are to be doing? And yes. it's a it's a it's a big thing to me. So yes, I agree. I know it's Doug. getting late. We, yeah. We're supposed yeah. to be Torah compliant, the first five books of the Bible, right? We we should Torah not be participating in Easter and Christmas and all that. Absolutely. Ash Wednesday. Right? Absolutely. We should right, be it's an abomination to God. Right, see, the whole it's thing is like we, we're kind of lukewarm, aren't we? We're kind of lukewarm yeah. instead of hot or cold. And so yeah. we got to be hot. And we got to get it right. And, uh, you know, uh, just something that I'd come across recently, uh, Reggie White, the great, uh, you know, football player, uh, played for Green Bay there for uh, six years or something, great defensive lineman, called him the minister of defense because he was like an ordained minister when he was 17. But then when he retired, he had more time to really study the scriptures and the extra biblical texts and go over to – you know, over there in uh, Palestine and, uh, you know, look at some of the real, uh, the real uh, uh, ancient, uh, you know, authentic uh, parchments and so forth. And uh, there was something, he went into some, uh, the vault. They had some of these uh, parchments in this vault, and he saw the original stuff that he wanted to see. But he came to the conclusion that, uh, you know, the quote-unquote Christians are really getting a lot of curses and, a lot of uh, bad things happening because we're not doing some real fundamental things, which is basically being Torah compliant. The first five books of the Bible, right? And the, um, the feasts and, and all that stuff. And, and then, of course, he ended up dead at 43. I think they probably took him out because they can't have some guy, a guy like that that was a good communicator, 
uh, and that was very well known because of his sports, his football career. Probably some people would, uh, you know, make him uh, uh, arguably the best uh, defensive player ever. You know, Lawrence Taylor, Reggie White, but Reggie White was awesome. And uh, uh, but I, I think they probably took him out. They got they got weapons now where they can do these sorts of things. But he did his mission. He did what he was supposed to do, and uh, that was just something I'd come across for whatever reason, like over the last couple of weeks, and I was just kind of scratching my head, saying, "Yeah, you know," because I don't know, I don't know the, um, you know, the statutes and, and all that. I know the basic commandments, but a lot of the other stuff, and I want to, I want to get on that and incorporate that into my life. And I think, uh, you know, like, and that goes right along with what you're saying, that we have to spend the time to know how, how we're supposed to be doing things. Yeah. Well, that's, that's pretty much uh, it in a nutshell. I, I really do believe is that we are at a point, and Isaac, I know you've been kind of out of the loop here this evening in the conversation, but, um, um, you know, we're going to get ready to develop another fellowship for the upcoming you know weeks to come and uh you know i i as i always say um you know we're always open to to the things that that are on people's minds with regards to what they feel they'd like to have more of or um how they'd like to get a firmer grasp on on a particular topic or subject and a better understanding of things and I don't claim to have all wisdom, um, but what it has done for me um, from the time that I spoke to Pastor Peters, you know, many years ago and said, you know, you're one man, and how can we, you know, how can we expand on this? How can we, you know, broaden the base, so to speak? And, um you know, those were the kinds of things that were on my heart and in my mind as to, you know, how to, um, you know, I don't need to reinvent the wheel. You know, Pastor Peter's already had a wheel, you know, and stuff. So how, how can I, you know, how can I help the wheel roll more continuously? How can I help it to roll more freely? You know, any of those kinds of things. And so taking these topics and subjects is, has, required me to get into the word and for me to study out different things and that's a good thing and it's been a blessing and it remains a blessing to me so i enjoy the opportunity to be able to fellowship with others of like mind just like you said jd at some point you just or russell i think it was when he came on he was happy to be you know tuning onto the fellowship because at least he knew he was amongst some people who might think somewhat like he does. And uh, so along with thinking like each other here, then let's think like each other, let's think like Christ, and let's get into uh, the Word and begin to help our fellow brethren. And, I, you know, we've all talked about this, is that, you know, there are things happening. You know, we do see the spirit of truth, you know, reaching people. And, um, you know, we do see more and more of that, and we feel more confident that people are, you know, are responding. Well, now, you know, it's not the time to, to quit or anything. 
And again, you know, some of these things, you get that feedback, again, you might want to check one out. Just mute your, I'll mute you. Okay, you got it. Um, so, you know, what we can do is try to uh, continue to make the the efforts to um, you know educate ourselves so that we can bring these biblical truths back and get them to these people so that it's easier for them to have it and to you know not be swayed by preachers that are still teaching false information and a lot of these preachers themselves a lot of these churches and stuff especially the smaller local ones and stuff you know they're starting to read a little bit of the tea leaves themselves and um you know but they're looking for people of like minds also and you know because you know they're in a peer group themselves and they don't want to appear as being you know the the, the guy that's the guy outside the box and nobody else in the building so they're looking for people to be confident women and stuff as well as well all right um i just had to put a mute there on jd there because there's a lot of feedback coming but anyhow um i know it got late russell had to jump out and isaac i tried to give you some floor here to see what kind of thoughts you might have as well i unmuted jd again and so I unmuted you. Uh, of course, I don't know if your phone is muted. Uh, maybe you put it back on, Isaac. So, but anyhow, I got it. Yeah, I'm just trying to give one last opportunity for anybody who wanted to chime in here. Uh, it's just stuff that I'm looking at. Oh, it's feedback there. Um, studying on my own some of the New Testament stuff that they bring up. All right. Okay, I, I muted J.D. again. Yeah, he, it's coming through his line. Uh, J.D., I got you muted for a while. Um, Isaac's going to share some thoughts here, and then I'll get you unmuted again. Go ahead. So just on my own studies, some of the stuff that I wanted to focus on next was some of the New Testament stuff, like, you know, turn the other cheek. Somebody steals from you. Give them additional things, stuff like that. I want to kind of look into that and see if there's any additional context that I can pull out of out of those kinds of statements since those are what the the modern Christian churches are using uh, as a basis for nonviolence, you know. Um, that that's kind of the biggest thing that's come into my mind lately. So that's where I was going to be yeah. focusing on my own. Yeah, you know, and and um, those are those are the things that that you know are the feel goodisms a lot of times that are thrown out and and in other words, basically we're all supposed to be passive. So here's an analogy for something like that, and and maybe you can throw it into your studies or whatever as well as you think about those things. But um, if if I have a freezer out on my porch and my porch is not locked and so I lock my house at night, um, you know, Christ did warn us about, you know, if the thief knew at what hour you'd be away, then he would have came at that hour. Um, so um, to use the analogy that if the thief steals from you, go ahead and give him, you know, uh, something more. Um, 
yeah, it all has to be in the proper context. But if, if you've got this freezer out there and, and somebody comes and they steal out of it, you, 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 you catch the individual stealing out of it. And he says, you know, I stole because I'm hungry and my family's hungry. Well, would you give him some more? You know, you would absolutely give him some more. Uh, and then if you told him, now look, this is for my family also. If you need something, you come ask me. You don't just come and take it. You don't steal it. And scripture says, thou shalt not steal. So um, if I know this person is stealing from me, then do I go ahead and give him the key to the house and let him you know, have access to the jewels and, and the gold and the silver also? Um, you know, that's as preposterous as anything that we could possibly think. You know? So yeah, everything in its proper context has to be understood. Well, I, suppose, and getting, I suppose it depends because with the... With the no, I, I understand what you're saying, but... Um, the uh, the disciples uh, the disciples all sold everything they had and they they pooled all their resources you know and so those guys didn't even have as far as I know their own individual houses and stuff like that and I and I I don't know how far we're supposed to go today with with that sort of thing because we certainly don't live like disciples do even the most staunch Christians alive today don't live that way, aside from, I suppose, monks. Um, so in that scenario, uh, you wouldn't have keys to your house and a bunch of gold and silver stored up. So your point is is that we wouldn't have houses? That seems to be the description of the disciples in the New Testament. So then everybody who is to be a disciple would have no house, no uh, no, no possessions or anything uh, of any kind. So if we're, so your point is, is that if we are true disciples, we would not possess any of those things or have any of those things, the, those things. That's, yeah, that's what I, that's what I, I'm, Considering, I guess, that 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 line of thought, uh, that the, Jesus told the disciples to sell all your stuff and pool your resources. So they they are forming a effectively a church with pooled resources. And then even beyond the disciples, you know, the disciples then were bringing other people into that same arrangement. Like there was the husband and wife that agreed with each other that they would sell their their possessions but then they would hide half of half of the money and give the other half and then they would join the group of disciples right and they they both dropped dead um so they they wouldn't have anything because they didn't give it did they drop dead because they didn't give it no they didn't they they were they were because they lied about it and they tried to hide it about it right they lied about it as Peter said to him, he says, while it was in your control, was it not yours? Right. Absolutely. It absolutely was. So God doesn't want you to be a false disciple. He wants a true disciple. Right. And 
being the disciple, once again, he told them there was a time he sent them out with no script, no money or anything because he wanted to set the example that you, you're you not going there by anything, um, how do I want to put this? You're going on on this commission that I've given you um, without script and money so that nobody can say that you do this for money. Nobody can say that you do this because of money. You yeah, right. That's own. all the power yeah. of God and the... Right. You do it as your, uh, your own free will. It's the total, you know, total exemplifying, totally exemplifying the free will um, to serve and to be a servant in that regard. So, yeah, those are, those are definitely some things uh, that, you know, uh, will you find uh, people who will disagree? Um, I I had this conversation with Sharnasky uh, a couple of years ago, and I find myself asking this question. So all men that were to be disciples of Christ went out and they were to be as these men were, um, and so, therefore, nobody had anything, and, and, and that, was, that was what Christ was trying to show us. Well, if we all did that, then would there be any reason to um, have any... How would you have a city? You have a city where nobody buys or sells or anything else because... Nobody does anything. Nobody. Uh, yeah, right. The idea. Is, yeah, if everybody uh, somehow, everybody imagine a hundred percent of the people in the whole world got like eventually worked into the situation where nobody had anything to even sell because they were already in this the system that's prescribed. Then how does it continue, right? Yeah, that's social social utopia, socialism utopia, right there. You know, and so. So again, taking it to an extreme, why would God say, you know, that He was going to bless Israel? Why would He say that they would have houses? Why would He say that they would have, you know, wealth? Um, you know, what would be the point of all that if something changed? Remember, Christ is God in the flesh, and if something changed in that whole plan then why wasn't it brought out more sufficiently? So there's no question yeah. about it. And uh, when, we, when we look at all this design that he has to bless, um, if we took usury out of the equation, um, if we took the false balance of weights and measures out of the equation, you know, just like J.D. said, you know, getting back to the, to the Torah, which is the first five books of, of, of the Bible. It's called predominantly the law. You know, if we applied these things um, across the board... Oh, about on, on that topic, since J.D. mentioned it, there's a, there's a Wikipedia page that I had been researching a couple of months back, and it's, it lists out 
the however many it is, like 600 and some, like 640 or whatever it is, or 617 yeah. Yeah. laws, you know, that are in, in the Torah. And it lists them all out in just a really quick, really quick one-line summary of what each law is. It's really interesting to read through them all, like in an afternoon, just to get an overview of what all of that stuff is. Uh, I don't have the link, but it's it's pretty easy to to Google that. Oh yeah, yeah, it's pretty it's easy to Google that. And and yeah, I mean, so think about it. You know, if 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 you are applying these principles, if somebody steals from somebody and they're required to pay back, you know, fourfold. Um, what is the incentive to steal? You know, it's pretty ridiculous. You know, that, that's a penalty that is designed. Well, yeah, but that's what I, I don't understand about the New Testament is that the, the only way that I've figured out to make those two things work together is that is to say that in the New Testament, whenever something like that is prescribed, uh, that it is specifically to brethren within the church. The only thing that makes sense to me so far. And I don't know if that's the way it's supposed to be interpreted or not. Okay, well, but let's, but let's think about that. Okay, so could you safely say that Israelites were brethren? Yeah, definitely. Okay, right. All right. So if they operate like that within their brethren, okay, do you think that outside of the circle of the brethren that others would likewise see how it operates and desire to emulate it? I would think so if it works well. Unless it's Absolutely. Just... If it if it works well, well, look at what I look at our. It's too hard and it's no you fun. Got, <laughs> right, you got you know. Look at our society. You have liberals who think that we should do it this way. You have conservatives which think you should do it this way. So both of them have ideas about the model society, if you will, or the best way to get things done, or you know whatever. Right. So so the problem herein lies always is that. If you have a model system that works and you can show that it works, but in one group you don't want the other group knowing that or having the other group have the success and the other group doesn't want the other one to feel as if they're failures. And so in essence, neither one of them helps each other out. All they do is fight back and forth. So there, there's no utopia there because the, 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 the conservative group says, well, when you try this stuff, it works, and we can show you and look and, and see. But then if you try it that way and you're using fiat currency and you're using unjust weights and, and measures, just to name a couple, then is there any wonder that it doesn't appear to work? And right. likewise on the other end. And so... so if you, like you say, when you take those 633, 636 laws or whatever it, number it is uh, that, are, that are listed there in, in the Old Testament, um, and you can make an application for those in today's modern times, 
and see how it works without usury, without the rest of the fiat currency, and without you know, other principles that we do in, quote, capitalism. It's like I've said to you before, Isaac, you know, the environmentalists aren't all wrong. They're just wrong on the right. way they approach it. You know, if you're going to approach it to an extremity which says, we don't even want to pick up the dead, ground, the dead trees and stuff in the forest so that when lightning strikes, it torches our cities as well, that's stupidity. You know, so... We don't want to carry our environmentalism to that extent there either, and we don't want to carry you know some other ism in another extreme the other way. So the the proper balance is always the proper balance, and I guess mankind is going to continue to fight with themselves about what is the proper balance. But when you take a lot of things out of the when you take a couple of key things out of the equation, such as usury. People, you know, still look at me and they'll say to me, well, even if there wasn't usury and you had 0%, like we've been having 0% for a long time, Doug, I mean, we got interest rates that are only 2 3 or 4%, you know, and so really um, we're living in this non-usury utopia. Well, then why isn't our utopia getting better? And the reason is is because we're still operating with fiat currency. And another factor is also that we're all supposed to have a piece of land. God says the earth is mine and everything in it. So we're not operating by these principles that we should be able to abide by. How many people would be really happy in the world if they had their own piece of land? And how much land is out there for everybody to have their own piece of land? Uh, There's five acres per person. Yeah, and I actually did do a little bit of a study on that. And I looked at all of just the land that government owns in America right now, um, like, you know, government-owned lands and stuff, and the millions of acres, and I just kind of did a quick little study and and divided out. If everybody that – I forget what what was I using. Who were the people? I said if everybody that was on – I think there was a statistic about the number of people on welfare or something, and it was in the millions or whatever. And I said, even if those people had, you know, a five-acre parcel or a 10-acre parcel, they could actually have a fairly sizable piece of acreage. I've got it on the top of one of my notebook pages somewhere. But, yeah, I mean, it's just stuff like that. That's just the government lands that are owned by government, you know. So, um, you know, currently in America, you know, um, Mm -hmm. so it's bizarre, you know, how we live when you really consider how God must have, you know, designed for us to live and then how much less need there would be of much of the other stuff we do as a result of it. Um, right. But small wonder, you know, the psalmist would say, I will fear thee and praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, he puts a little heart in your body, six inches in length, four inches in diameter, pumping blood at the rate of two and a quarter tons a day. And we're just going to sit here and say that he really only designed us to, you know, to live in tents. Uh, You know, that doesn't really make sense to the magnanimity of God and his desire for us to utilize the creation and everything therein that he gave. 
I mean, look at what man has done to harness all of the things that are in this creation that he gave us. Some of them for very good and some of them for very bad and some of them for both good and bad. So um, he's a wonderful, wonderful, you know, reflection of, of what he desires and you know, so there's a lot of frustration. You know, you, you've heard me express it before. There's a lot of express, you know, frustration that I have that if a, just a few key things were different, many, many lives would be, you know, thousands and tens of thousands, tens of millions of lives would be dramatically different if just a few key things were different. A 50-year jubilee, a release that everybody whose family was given the portions of the land are able to go back to that land even if they had leased it out all during that time or even if they had lost the land because of some situation that forced them to, you know, to sell the land. They had an opportunity to be granted the land back. I mean, just, just... Amazing, amazing, amazing things that he wrote. Yeah, it would, it would be a for. major solution to to the inequality, right? That we Absolutely. have, where and a, and a, and everything a is slowly release. being collected. Right. So the new solution is: while everybody gets a a living wage, that's that's just smoke and mirrors, you know. Right. What we want and what we desire is equity. And that's exactly what Christ said and God himself said as well. Equity. You know, what do I desire? I desire equity. You know, why should you, my people, be oppressed? Why should people be oppressed by you? You know? UBI. UBI. Universal basic income. What a joke. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to solve the world. We're going to solve America's problems with universal basic income. You know, we're going to solve the next problem. I, I, honestly, I, I'll talk to you some more about this, Isaac. But I've really been—I created a YouTube channel, and I haven't used it yet. It, and I titled it with a title that I was hoping that would would be beneficial. But I really would like to do a lot of short little videos, and I don't even really want them videos because people concentrate on the people then, and they like Mm -hmm. one person over another or whatever. What I want them to be is content-based to where we actually take these laws and we make the application, and we do it in a short two- to three-minute audio clip, and I, I would encourage others to do it and others to be a part of it, because for one person to always do this, it takes much more time. But if we can if we encourage others to do it and we can set it up in such a way that others can do it, then we can start putting these little tidbits out there that help, you know, we've got a whole group of people now that are growing up right now that think that, you know, this system that we're in doesn't really work. And so, therefore, we're going to engage socialism, you know, throughout the country. And, in fact, I believe in many respects it's what you're hearing from the churches. The churches are now also promoting this kind of socialism. Well, didn't the apostles have all things in common? 
That's not what it meant. What it meant is that they pooled the resources together so that they could do the things that they needed to do in the commission. And it's the same way for us. If we truly want to believe in the commission and we truly want to do this, then we want to go out and teach all things, all these things to the people. And I don't have the resources. I got, I got to work my, you know, eight hours, you know, all, all the time in order to do that. Um, you know, Scripture says a wise man leaves to his children's children an inheritance. So do I just throw that Scripture out because we're all supposed to have everything in common? You know, what do I do? I mean, I'd, I'd be throwing stuff out of the Bible all day long if I'm going to believe the socialist utopia that even the church is now trying to peddle. And, and do you think you, do know, you think the churches peddle that just by, oh, goodness, they're just deceived? Or do you think it's absolutely engineered because they are of the cult of Rome? I know I there's decent many, people in these churches, yeah. but they're just totally deceived. Yeah, I, I think it's a combination. We've had that discussion many times, J.D. I mean, it's a combination, the, you know. And remember, it was God himself who said that he would blind them. That, you know, if how does the scripture read? He says that uh, if you, uh, I will, uh, I'm going to butcher it up. Uh, um, if you, um, you know, uh, how did I will it, give uh, you a great deception. Go? I will give you a great deception yeah. or something. Yeah, 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 something along that line, right. You know, he'll he'll make the deception greater. If you want to be deceived, you know, he'll add greater de- deception to you. So in many respects, you know, God wants us to come to the truth through him, and he wants us to come, you know, for full obedience of the righteousness of his will and of his word. And if, if we won't come that way, then we'll have adversaries for this one thing here or we'll have an adversary for this thing here or he'll give us a deception himself because we seem to love to be in the deception, you know. So, um, yeah, it's many-faceted and it all comes right back to what I always keep saying is, is that everything that I've learned from the front of the book to the back of the book is there, it is about, repenting for those wrongs, repenting for those sins, which are in disobedience to his will. You know, and how, how could we not, you know, think that we're not disobedient to his will? It just, it, it blows you away. So, um, you know, we would that, that everybody could have the revelation and, and would come to life at the same time and we would return. But um, indeed, it's a process. And indeed, it's a journey. And some of it, you know, you can I tell think, me how this... I think with a lot, of these, a lot of these things we're, we're talking about, this uh, the big picture and how society should run and, and so forth. I think that to look where we want to go in the future, going forward, we have to look to the past. And Absolutely. to me, it's pretty that. right. To me, to me, it's pretty simple. It's um, here in America. I think um, you know you want to have. Uh, 
some kind of, you know, very limited government. Well, you know, Jefferson pretty much laid it out, I think. Uh, you know, he was saying, you know, the centralization of power is the centralized tyranny, and that's kind of what we got. You got to have a limited federal government. You got to have the kind of the limited, the states kind of run themselves, and then right down to the local townships, and you know, and then each person's farm is pretty much you run it the way you want to run it because that's what they had back in the day. And uh, and and then and then go by the biblical principles, you know, the uh, just weights and measures, and uh, like that, the monetary system. That's that's massive, and. Uh, you know, uh, it's just um, today it's uh, pretty much total deception. But we've, um, you know, I think the people that are going to engage in this discussion and maybe even get active, it's going to be maybe like 5% of the population. And uh, that will, you know, they will be the blessing uh, for the rest of the people that, you know, will benefit for it. But they, you know, the system loves to just pump all this diversity as our strength and let everybody, you know, their opinion means the same amount no matter if they have any kind of basis for their opinions. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, but but anyways, but yeah, so, and then, you know, there's the issue of the eradication of the parasite among us that, you know, Hitler was doing and, you know, he wasn't killing them, he was just, getting them ready to be shipped out wherever they were going to ship them to, which was like Madagascar or whatever. And then, of course, you know, without going into all the stuff on it, but, yeah, there was dead bodies, but they all died of typhus and famine. It's pretty much been documented in a whole bunch of books that I can send anybody a Dropbox link and they can look at them because they're all online. But, but yeah, so, I mean, I I understand what the other... um, uh, what was the other fella that was uh, saying there about, uh, you know, that maybe we don't, we need to go like the disciples and sell all of our belongings and all that? Um, That's Isaac. Yeah, Isaac. I can totally, I can understand that logic, you know, like what it's saying. Uh, but, you know, the the other thing is, uh, I don't know if you guys are aware of that Jural Assembly uh, movement that's moving forward. You know, everything that we call government today is de facto, it's Ill- illegitimate, and there's a whole story about that. It basically really happened in the Civil War period in the Reconstruction Acts, but, uh, and there's a lot of people, there's a really good guy, Destry, who just recently moved from Michigan up to Alaska because they were harassing him so much, but he's a really, really good guy and a, and a sharp guy. And he can explain this stuff really well, but uh, but that's what the Jural Assembly is, is just, it's not doing anything different than what was done with the Founding Fathers when they set up the country. They're reconstituting the de jure, the legitimate government, you know, and of course, it's going to be in a very limited, limited way, and they've already done some things that are very impressive. I mean, they set sent orders or whatever to Trump and his administration. Uh, uh, apparently, they kept him from going into Syria with boots on the ground. You know, they wanted to go in there and throw Assad out of there. This is real stuff. I mean, I, this is my opinion based on what I've learned. And I believe, I mean, 
it, it's very compelling. I don't think it's some joke. Like a lot of people just want to poo-poo all this stuff, and it's the same kind of mind control they've got on us about that we don't have any.